Hello and welcome to the In The Pen Podcast, part of the Pitcherlist Podcast Network. I am your interim host, Jake Crumpler, and as always, and as always I'm joined by Pitcherlist's bullpen expert, Rick Graham. What's up, Rick? How you doing? Hey, Jake. I'm doing well. Um, could have been better. The Red Sox had a pretty terrible weekend after <laughs> the All-Star break, but, um, you know, hanging in there and just, just hoping, just hoping they don't, you know, do anything rash here and trade Bogarts or whatever so yeah i'm just you know trying to trying to make it through the deadline with my sanity intact yeah that that may be hard with the way they've been playing terrible might be an understatement that uh mm. that blowout was something else i i told people on twitter like don't look at the red Sox score if you're squeamish it's uh <laughs> it's pretty scary right now but yeah let's hope they hold on to bogarts and martinez and probably yeah. their relievers too which they most likely will and as this is a reliever podcast we will be talking about some relievers um you do a weekly uh closing time article which ranks the top 30 closers across baseball and every week we cover the risers and the fallers in that article we're going to start off with uh, the three that are moving up in the article this week. And those three will be Garrett Whitlock, Kenley Jansen, and Craig Kimbrell. Why don't you start off with your team's uh, should-be closer, Garrett Whitlock. Why, why is he moving up this week? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure that he's going to – he's in a full-time closing role. Yeah, I mean, he got the save last last night being this Monday night. Um and, you know, Hauk was available. He was actually warming up because Whitlock had a bit of an injury scare there, but he was, he's fine. He's, he's off tonight, but he should be good to go the rest of the week if needed. So I think Hauk's been fine. There's really no, can't really nitpick about any, anything he's done wrong, but I feel like as long as Whitlock's in that bullpen, he's the best option to close out games because of his ability to get left handed and right handed hitters out. And the fact that he can go, you know, an inning or two, possibly three innings, you know, if needed, that that really helps out. Not that how can either, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it also just like looking looking at like the contract they gave Whitlock. I feel like that's kind of like they got him paid through things twenty twenty eight. So you know you don't have to worry about any sort of our not that the Red Sox are worrying you know cost conscious and worrying about arbitration numbers, but. I feel like he's just, he's kind of got the contract to be either, you know, a fourth starter on this team for the next five years or the closer. So I feel like that switch might be getting, might be near permanent for him becoming the closer there. I would love for that to happen. I just picked him up in my home league, like I was telling you before we started recording. So I, I would love for that to happen. He was just so good in the first half when he was putting up just crazy numbers as a, member of the bullpen and once they moved him to the rotation it sort of started going the other way so i really hope that they keep him in the bullpen he's obviously this most effective there and like Mm -hmm. you said i love the fact that he goes multiple innings that just makes him so valuable in pretty much any league even if he's not getting saved so if he is to if he is going to get saves he's going to be one of the most valuable closers across the second half um one of the guys who was one of the most valuable closers in the first half was kenley jansen he was on the IL with a bit of a heart issue, which he's dealt with in the past, but he he's come back strong. Why is he moving up the closing time this week? Uh, I just think, I mean, he gave up a run the other day on two hits, but I think he looks healthy. He seems, he seems like he's healthy and 
as long as he's, you know, good to go and there's no issues with him in that bullpen, he's definitely push he should definitely belong he belongs in the top twelve, you know, cat like range um pitching for that team. And just, you know, he's still he hasn't really lost anything over the last couple of years, which is, you know, he's one of only a few guys we see around this Chapman kinda you know, starting to lose it at his age and like mm-hmm. Kimbrell's been shaky, but Jansen's like the one guy out of those three that have been around for forever, it feels like, and he's just staying strong, which is, you know, awesome to see. So yeah, just, just him basically being healthy and there, there being no health concerns at the moment has him, he only moved up, I think a spot or two. So nothing crazy, but mm-hmm. still, still liking him for the, for the second half. Me too. I, I, I've always loved him despite, me being a Dodgers fan or oh gosh, I can't believe I almost said that despite me being Ooh. a Giants fan. Yeah. It's been, it's always been hard for me to root for him because I don't want the Dodgers to be good, but you know, they're, they are going to be good. So I've always really liked him in fantasy because he's just going to get so many opportunities to get saves. And now that he's on the Braves, he's sort of in the same position where they like relying on one guy, despite how good the rest of their bullpen is. And there was just the little bit of scare across 2019 and 20 where his velocity started to fall back. I think looking at his pitcherless player page 2020, he had a 90.8 mile per hour average cutter velocity, which is now back up to 92.4, which has sort of been just the main reason for his effectiveness. If he's able to maintain pretty solid velocity, he is going to be really effective in that closer role in Atlanta. And that's what he's been doing this year. He's having one of his better seasons. And as long as he can, you know, keep his heart healthy and stay healthy for, throughout the second half, stay off the IL. He should continue to be one of the better closers in baseball and one of the better teams in the National League. Speaking of better teams in the National League and the Dodgers, again, like you mentioned, Craig Kimbrell, one of the elder statesmen of the closer pool, has been up and down throughout the season. I had a little bold take on Potapalooza, which I participated in last week. And I said that Brooks Riley would have more saves than Craig Kimbrell. Obviously, <laughs> that was a bold prediction, especially with Brooks Riley pitching for the Rays and Kimbrell being on one of the best teams in baseball, probably the best in the National League. But, you know, I haven't had much confidence in Kimbrell so far i think he's got two or three saves in july which is not something that you would brag about as a fantasy manager or as a fan of the dodgers but who why do you have kimbrell moving up this week it's he's been he's been better lately Uh, he's still allowing hits at an alarming rate which some of it might be able to you know we can might chalk it up to bad luck but it's still he's allowed 20 hits over his last 19 innings which I mean, if we want to go back 30 innings, he's allowed 31 hits. So, you know, almost a hit an inning. So he's coming in and, like, it's almost guaranteed he's putting somebody on base or, you know, at least the walks have been down. That's helped him, and the walks have always been an issue in his past. But, yeah, I don't. he's been hittable this year. I Still, though, he hasn't allowed a run since, uh, let's see, July 7th. So that's dating back about seven uh seven games he's got three saves since then the dodgers really at this point at least have nowhere to turn to and even if if training comes back they're not gonna i don't think they're gonna make a switch there so i think they're stuck with him and for better or worse unless they make some sort of you know trade that 
we just don't see coming. Um, like a Bednar, perhaps, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I think the, the, he's going to end up, you know, staying there for the rest of the year as the closer. And of course, this is a good Dodgers team, so the chances will be there. It's just, is he going to be able to limit the damage and, you know, convert on these saves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, he, he's just allowing too many hits. He, he still strikes out a lot of batters, and he's on one of the best teams in baseball, so we'll have more than enough opportunities to rack up the saves as the season goes along. And I don't know, the Dodgers are just so good at creating their own elite relief aces that they don't really need to go and trade for a really good one. I mean, they just did that with no. Kimbrel in the offseason. But like, yeah, I mean, it, it would be very surprising if they went and got Bednar or like, I don't know. I don't even know if Scott Barlow would knock out. Yeah, Kimbrel, I, but I was another name I was thinking. But yeah, I don't I don't think I think he comes in and would just be more of a setup guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, a very good point that he's just going to have so many opportunities there. But as three relievers climb up the ranks, that means three others have to fall. And now we are at the three moving down the closer ranks this week. And those three are a couple righties and a lefty. One is Rysel Iglesias. And why is he moving down your list this week? Um, Mostly because... You know, I kind of like the guys below him a little bit better and just the, the angels are kind of a, they're a dumpster fire right now. It's not, nothing's really looking good for them. They can't score runs despite having two of the best offensive players on the planet and one of the best pitchers in the planet. And they just can't win games, but um, he's, he also hasn't been great this year. He's got a 4.36 ERA, which is a little bit, you know, it's, you know, everything else metric wise, is checks out. He's been, he's been fine again. He's gotten, he's had some, some bad luck and he's one of those guys who struggles in non-safe situations, which there's been plenty of times he's pitched in non-safe situations since the angels haven't been able to give him opportunities. So yeah, just like clay Holmes is going to get more chances in New York. Um, there's also, I, the, his name's been brought up in some trade rumors and, mm-hmm. He just was, he just signed a new deal. So, and and it doesn't look like the angels are looking to blow things up right now. So I doubt he's available, but you know, the lack of quality relievers available, they might be able to get a pretty good haul for Iglesias and kind of, you know, get out of his, out of the rest of that contract. If they think that's something that they need to do. So wouldn't shock me. It's not someone we talked about last week, but it wouldn't shock me if he's, you know, he gets dealt and there, there's a guy where like, if he goes across the, you know, if he goes to the Dodgers, uh, he might, he might be one that could push Kimbrell out of a closing job. Mm-hmm. I would be pretty surprised if he did get moved because you have to expect the angels to try to be competitive next year. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, they, they have Otani, they have trout, um, they got David Fletcher. Um, <laughs> they, they've got, they, they have no reason Taylor not Ward. to try to be competitive next year. Yeah. Taylor Ward. Exactly. <laughs> they, they, I don't think that they would trade this guy, especially who they just signed. I don't think it's going to open up enough financial flexibility that they would be able to, you know, have some crazy moves or get a bunch of really good prospects in return. Like unless they're getting, I don't know, Tony Gonsolin in return from the Dodgers or something like that, which I highly mm-hmm. doubt then I just don't see them making a move like that, which, you know, locks him in as the closer through the rest of the season. I think he's been really unlucky this year. He was so amazing last year. I had him 
on my home league and he really helped me throughout the year, especially because he was like the third closer I took or something. So it was really going well. He's still striking out 34% of the batters he faces. He relies on the, on the fly ball a lot. He needs those to be caught, which helps to have some good fielders out there, but also it helps to keep those in the yard. But you know, he's got a 4.36 ERA that comes with a 3.05 XFIP. So I think he's going to have some better days in the second half. So if you are a fantasy man- manager that has the ability to trade for somebody like that, or your, your fantasy opponents are sort of not valuing him as good as he is, definitely go try to trade for him. I might go look and consider some trades right after this podcast myself, mm-hmm. but he, he's he's definitely going to be better in the second half no matter where he ends up. Um, the other two guys we have, one of them is a lefty Taylor Rogers of the San Diego Padres is moving down your closer ranks. Why is he moving down? I know he's been not too great, but he still has been getting a lot of saves. I think he might lead the majors in saves right now. Why is he moving down your list? Yeah, it just, it wasn't a big drop off, but, um, he still, I thought he was going to be able to turn things around, but he's still st- struggling. And it's not, it hasn't been just like where Hader, it was kind of like a couple bad games in a row. It's been like pretty more, it's been more consistent with Rogers. And, you know, over the past 60 days, the past 60 days, he has a 7.45 ERA. So that's Oof. like a pretty, pretty big sample size. And, now, again, we talk about bad luck. I think there's some bad luck going on here. His whip's only 1.39 over those 60 days, and he's got a K to walk rate of 22 to 4. So, like, those are things like the whip's not great, but like th- that whip doesn't kill you. And the, obviously, the strikeout to walk ratio looks nice. So, yeah, a little bit of bad luck here. And th- the Padres, though, they're, they're kind of like a wild card team where, like, we, we've seen how they are very aggressive at the deadline. They'll make They'll go after the big names. They'll, if David Bednar, Scott Barlow are available, they're gonna or Iglesias even. I mean, they'll they'll definitely look into that. And I'm not positive Rogers is the closer a week from now, but he should be. Assuming again, assuming they do make a big splash with one of those those closers I just mentioned. But yeah, just I feel like there's other guys that a little bit below him that deserve to move up and. Rogers was kind of the the uh, casualty moving down a couple spots. Despite his uh, effectiveness in, in locking down saves, he's just been giving up a lot of runs. And I, I think it probably has to do with, um, I don't know, it, it's like there's nothing you can really pin it down on. I, I thought it was sort of weird in the first couple of months when he was just so good. I never really thought of him as one of the best relievers in baseball, sort of like top five, which is what he was performing like. So I really did see regression coming. Like there was no way he was keeping that up, but this is sort of a little bit much. He has always had pretty good underlying metrics, but he doesn't strike out as many guys as say, and Edwin Diaz does. He's more of a finesse guy with a a, a bit of a, a funky arm slot, which is makes him really effective, but it, he should be, really solid in the second half but yeah i agree there are guys that i have more trust in despite his ability to get saves in bunches and the last guy who was getting saves up until recently when uh, the previously mentioned garrett whitlock just swooped one last night was tanner hauck of the boston red Sox, your favorite team why was tanner hauck moving down your list well 
I guess this is just a straight swap moving Whitlock in and Hauk off, but um, I still think that they're both going to get saves and their ability to work multiple innings. I I think you're going to see some. You might see something you know a bit interesting with how the Red Sox deploy their these two closers. And you know if Whitlock went yesterday, then Hauk gets the ninth, eighth, and ninth today, and they're kind of able to you know give each other a night off in between while both being available available on certain days to to pitch and to close out games. So they're I feel like they're gonna end up being co closers, but it's definitely as far as how it goes, you know, until before Whitlock returned, it was looking like he might be the closer for the, you know, rest of the season and he had he might have had the role to himself, but I don't definitely don't think that's the case now. And at best for Hauk, it's gonna be some sort of timeshare where he's, you know, option one one B. And, you know, there's still you, you don't, their best reliever, you know, John Schreiber still hasn't really factored into save situations. I'm not sure if he will, but there's just, he's another guy who could kind of eat into this committee uh, potentially moving forward. It's crazy to think back about how you guys were talking about this bullpen in the first half of the, of the regular season and how terrible it was. It was just, it was something that you wanted to stay away from. You know, it was hard to decide between Jake Diekman and Hansel Robles and Matt Barnes who couldn't hit the side of a barn. And now they've just turned a couple of young starters into elite relief aces and grabbed a random guy from the minor leagues and brought him up. And those have turned into three relief aces, a three-headed monster that has sort of made the bullpen actually really effective now, which is very surprising considering where we were at the beginning of the season. But like you were mentioning, it's it's hard to tell what direction the Red Sox will go in once we hit August. Are, are they going to be buyers? Are they going to be sellers? Is this going to be a team that's going to be getting a lot of wins or are they going to start falling down the rankings in the AOS, ALE standings? And could they possibly end the season in fifth place in that division it is definitely on mm-hmm. the cards uh with the way the orioles are playing but yeah Hauk is is very interesting i don't think he's as good as whitlock but like you said both of them can go multiple innings they will need to spell each other from time to time using schreiber as the high leverage guy you can use these guys you can basically yeah. basically use the three of them to cover five innings to end a game yeah. which is that's a it's going to be pretty hard to uh, go up against, but we'll, we'll see if Cora uses those guys effectively in the right way. So that's going to cover Rick's closing time article from the week. Now we're going to move into the news from the, the week. Last week, we talked about Tanner Rainey going down with an elbow injury that could require Tommy John surgery. Unfortunately, we have another one of those, and this time it's Michael King of the New York Yankees. He was an incredible breakout in the first half. He was so good in the first month and just kept that up throughout the season to my surprise. And unfortunately, maybe fracture his elbow or something, something terrible yeah, like that. God, that's so bad. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think the Yankees are going to do about this? Who do you think moves into the setup role now? Yeah, they already lost. They already lost Chad Green. Araldis uh, Chapman's been struggling. They're really going to need Jonathan Elizago to, turn things around quickly. It looks like, um, they're probably, they're, I want to say probably they're almost definitely going to go out and get some help. Uh, yeah. You know, they've all, but basically locked up the ALE. So <clears throat> they're gonna, they're going to be buyers at the deadline. They're going to get a, a reliever or two. Um, 
Zach Britton might come back soon, but yeah, their their bullpens that was a huge loss for them because Clay Holmes and King, he and he and King were like holding together that bullpen basically by themselves. So losing one piece of that, yeah, it's gonna really. I, I you hope to see Jonathan Wiseaga turn things around and figure it out for you know the next two months, but um, I'm not so sure that's that's in the cards. Yeah, this uh. Bullpen was a strength at first. It's sort of the opposite of what the Red Sox have done going from a a, a bad part of the team. I don't know. I couldn't think of the right word, mm-hmm. but a bad part of the team to, you know, one of the better parts of the team. And now the Yankees are sort of doing the opposite where it was like, holy moly, they got all the guys you could want in the bullpen. Clay Holmes, Chapman, they had Loizaga and Green still at the time in the first half. Michael King was still there. Miguel Castro and even Clark Schmidt was was putting up some good numbers as well. And then now it's sort of like, oh, shoot, we've lost like half the bullpen. Now it's like Clay Holmes and Wandy Peralta sort of by themselves. And you're relying yeah. on bounce back from Loizaga and Chapman as well as some um, underrated guys who who don't really have the same experience as these other guys like Albert Abreu, Lucas Lutke and Ron Marinaccio. But, you know, like you said, they're they're going to add to this bullpen at the deadline they are a team that has world series aspirations can't even say playoff aspirations they yeah. have the best record in baseball they are going to try to win it all and this is the year to go all in so they will be moving some prospects it will be bringing in talent and so that's going to move some guys out of the bullpen but also sort of shore up the setup roles uh leading up to clay holmes and um speaking of clay holmes we have got a special segment today which you know we might re revisit after the uh, trade deadline but um we're going to be talking about who we think could be the next clay holmes because he was sort of an unheralded unknown reliever moved at the deadline that maybe nobody really was thinking about who was he moved alongside with from pirates um i'm not sure i i'm not sure if he i might have just been him I remember they got Diego Castillo was and that the, was that the Tyone trade did they get Tyone that year too or was those separate um, trades? I think those were separate, yeah. I think Holmes right. was, yeah, Tyon, that was before the season, and Holmes was in the middle of the season, just kind of like a random, out of the blue, you know, don't think much about it type of trade. And yeah, I think it was for Diego Castillo and I uh, forget the other. I think it was another minor league infielder they sent. Hoy Park. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, so th- that was not a trade that was on really anybody's radar. I'm pretty sure Yankees fans were like, hey, whoa, what are you doing? These Both of these minor leaguers were killing it in the minor leagues and you're trading it yeah. for a guy with a near five ERA. So we're going to try to figure out who from a selling team could be trading an unknown slash unheralded slash underrated reliever that could sort of have a big breakout season coming into the second half of the season once they land on a team that can sort of get the most out of them. Um, you got any guys on your mind? I know I got one. I, I did some research and it's sort of hard to pick out guys that are bad that you think are going to be good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do, who, who's on your mind for this? Who do you think is going to be a big breakout for a new team? I had a couple guys in mind, both with um, both with contracts through next year. So they have this year and next year and, it's kind of the, all three, one of them is having a really good year, like possibly a breakout year. And then the other two are struggling. And I think maybe the right organization could turn them into something. And, you know, the first one that is having a breakout year is Joe Jimenez. And I think he might be 
depending on who else is who really is available at the deadline, he might be the best the best target for um for teams to look at. I think he was you know he, he was one of the, you know, relief prospects. Usually aren't you know prospects we, we don't hear about yeah. him, but him and his had some you know prospect uh, clout when he was you know moving up the ranks in Detroit, and then he struggled his first few years there. They did move him into the closer role eventually, and he just didn't work out there. And just kind of was forgotten about. They've had, you know, Gregory Soto came along. Uh, they have other, the Michael Fulmer moved into the bullpen. Alex Langs, you know, become a stud reliever. So Jimenez is kind of just there, not getting holds or saves, just, but he's been one of the most effective relievers over the last couple months and throughout the whole year, to be honest. So with just one more year on his contract and the Tigers looking to blow things up completely, it looks like he would be available. And I think that's, he's going to go to a team and like say it's like the Astros or, you know, there's a team that's going to give him some more notoriety, probably possibly put him into a better situation where he could actually earn some holds um, and possibly saves next year or this year. Who knows? He's definitely earned a bigger role. So that's one one guy I'm ex- I'm excited to see. Hopefully he, he ends up somewhere where he can get a better chance. Um, Leclerc's been a good close. He was a good closer in 2019, 18, like one of my favorite closers. I, you know, love talking about him and writing about him and dealt with injuries lately. Um, he's back pitching. He's not pitching that well. I mean, to put it nicely, but uh, I think again, he's, He's got two options left. So he could be a free agent next year or he's got pretty team friendly options. I think it's like around $5 million for the next two seasons. So definitely a guy I think the Rangers might consider moving um, so they don't have to make a decision on that. And he's not in the closer role there anymore. Brett Martin still is, but I think Leclerc again, goes to the right, right team to the right situation Maybe we get back to 2018, 19, 17 Leclerc, where he was one of the best up and coming relievers in the game. Um, I, I think he could, I think for three, yeah, the right situation, he could really thrive again. And then the other one who hasn't really done anything is Robert Stevenson. I, I just want to get him out of Colorado. I want to get him to a team that develops players slide. I mean, he might be. I wonder if like the Yan- he might be a guy for the Yankees to take a chance on that doesn't cost m- much of anything and just you know fastball slider that's like the Yankees mo and just just you know develop that and maybe get him throwing a slider even more. Um, I think that could work, but he, he's he's just a guy I want to see give like in a good organization that develops their bullpens, you know. Like Houston, I mentioned uh, Tampa Bay, Milwaukee, like those those teams. So I would like to see a contender take a chance on him, and he won't be you know thrown into a setup role right away. But maybe next year because he's got one more year on his deal. I think he's a free agent twenty four. So yeah, next year maybe he becomes a an elite source of holds if you know everything breaks right. I would love to see that happen. I, I think Stevenson is very underrated. I had him as my dark horse closer candidate for the Rockies part of the season, but he's really struggled this year. We talked about him in the last podcast when we were covering who could replace Daniel Bard if when he does get traded, if he does get traded, if the Rockies use their brain for once. But (laughs) um, (laughs) 
yeah, Robert Stevenson's really interesting. He's got a good slider. He throws hard. He um he's shown stuff in the past. He's got prospect pedigree from when he was a starter, and he he had a really good year last year. Three point one three ERA in Colorado is pretty impressive by itself. Yeah. So if he could just get to the right organization, like you were saying, I think he could take off. I I, I liked him preseason. I still like him now, even though he's been so bad. You can sort of blame everything on Coors and the Rockies as an organization. Uh, as it comes to LeClerc, he was somebody who, when he debuted in 2018, was on everybody's radar as just one of the next great closers. He had a 1.56 ERA in 57 and two-thirds innings pitched that season, and that came with a 38% strikeout rate, so he was really doing some great stuff out there. But then he went downhill yeah. from there. He had some bad seasons. He had some Tommy John surgery, which he's just returned from, so maybe the Rangers are a a little bit wary of trading him because they know how good he was and they haven't really seen how good he can be now that he's returned, but it would be cool to see him go to another team. He definitely has a bunch of prospect potential, not prospect potential, just potential in general. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I think it, maybe it does take him getting moved to another spot to uh, fully retake that potential that he showed in the, in that, rookie season his debut season so maybe a lot of people have forgotten about that and then he gets moved and then people are like oh shoot wait this guy was good before wow um yeah so that could definitely happen and then joe jimenez i don't think he's one of those guys where he's underperforming and you're just like oh he's going to go to a team and become super crazy but Mm. he's been really good this year but like you said he's not on a team that is like nationally covered all the time so I, i think he could become a more household name if he does move to a team like you said the Astros or or even the Yankees just a team that can use like a better setup man and then people start to realize like oh man this guy's having a good year he's got some good stuff and maybe he does even take an even higher step to a next level um in a new organization but he's been great um yeah those are some great calls on who could be the next Clay Holmes I am going to cover my next Clay Holmes after we take this quick break And we're back. My name is Crump, and I'm always joined by Rick Graham of PitcherList. We're both of PitcherList, as a matter of fact. But I've got a really interesting Clay Holmes, the next Clay Holmes, not the actual Clay Holmes. He is pretty interesting in himself. But I've got a guy who he, he doesn't really fit the contract stipulations that Clay Holmes had where he just has a little bit of control left. I I found it hard to like figure out what exactly makes Clay Holmes Clay Holmes. When he got traded, he didn't start like he didn't like start getting all the ground balls like he has been this year. He was already a pretty strong ground ball pitcher. His strikeout rate climbed a little bit, but it was mostly the biggest change that he saw when he moved to New York was the fact that he changed his pitch repertoire and it was pretty dramatically. He was sort of like a sinker, cutter, slider guy, which you see, uh, I don't know, a starter who has that same repertoire as like Graham Ashcraft. Just you, you can let the sinker and cutter play off each other and then the slider is just the slower pitch of the three. But the Yankees decided to just turn him into a sinker and slider pitcher. They saw the potential in his sinker. And that's sort of how he took off was just completely axing the cutter. And that is sort of the mold that I went with when I was looking for my next Clay Holmes. And the guy that I have is Andres Machado of the Washington Nationals. He's 29 years old. He has less than a year of service time. This is his major league 
not his debut season. This is his third season in the majors, but he has less than a year of service time considering he's barely pitched so far in his career. But when I started looking at him, you know, I, I wanted to find a guy that was doing badly who I thought could move to another team that could sort of get the most out of him. And when I looked at his stuff, I said, okay, he's got a 4.62 ERA and a 1.35 whip and he strikes out 18 and a half percent of batters. That is not great. But if you look at his pitches, you can sort of see where I'm coming from here. He throws a sinker 35% of the time that gets a 198 expected weighted on base average on contact, uh, ex wo bacon, as some people might call it. But he does a really good job of, of getting soft contact with that pitch, even if it's not like the best at getting swinging strikes or anything, or, or he's not too great at throwing it in the zone, but it, it does induce weak contact. So that's his, that's his primary pitch. His second, most used pitch is a four seamer that he uses 30% of the time. And this is sort of the cutter to, to, to clay. This is the, the pitch to clay Holmes cutter. This is a really yeah. bad pitch for him. It's a uh, resulted in a 320 expected batting average this year, a near 500 X will bacon. And it just is not great. And he uses it 30% of the time. And it's not a pitch that you want him to keep using. So axe that pitch. Now you got 30% to work with. He's also uses two off-speed pitches. One of them is a slider that he uses 21% of the time. That is also not that great, but I'm sure if he moved to another team, they could definitely help him with a new grip on that, or maybe turn it into more of a cutter to go along with that sinker. And maybe it would be better because he he throws at 87 miles per hour. So it's sort of already cutterish in that it's fast and it doesn't get a ton of movement so i think either like turning it into a sweeper which has become really popular around baseball or just a full-on cutter could definitely help it improve it's doesn't really limit average but it's really not as bad as that four seamer so i i think there's some potential in there and then he's also got a change up that he uses 14 percent of the time which is really good he gets a 24.5% swinging strike rate with that pitch. It's thrown almost 90 miles per hour on average. He limits hard contact with it. It's a 155 expected batting average. But th- there's just from looking at his his pitch mix, you can see like, oh, that four-seamer is terrible and that slider needs improvement. Axe the four-seamer, add about 15% of that to the sinker, get it up to 50%, and then put the rest on the slider and the changeup, you know, yeah. maybe even improve the slider to a different pitch. Like I said, a sweeper or a cutter and maybe make that the primary pitch because that seems to be how pitchers take off nowadays is putting the fastball on the back burner. So if he becomes like a sinker slider changeup pitcher, or even just one of those breaking pitches becomes his bread and butter pitch, then I think he could really take off. The only thing, you know, that's, that's sort of reserving is that he does have tons of control left. So whatever team that trades for him, it's probably going to have to make the nationals feel like they're getting something good out of him. They're probably going to be like, wait, what the heck? Why are you reaching out about this guy? Like journeyman, 29 year old reliever who hasn't really done much in his career, career 4.95 ERA, uh, what do you see in him that we're not seeing in him? I don't really want to get screwed clay home style, but <laughs> I think this guy just fits the mold of somebody who needs a change of scenery to a organization mm. that is really good at pitching development. And based off all those stats that I just read through, I think he's really got a chance of doing so. Um, so my question is for you. Do you think he does get traded? Do you think that's like a possibility, even though he does have like five or six years of control left? And do you think that he does have enough potential in that arm to sort of have a Clay Holmes-esque breakout? 
I'm not sure if he gets traded, but with the Nationals moving a lot of pieces, I mean that if they move Juan Soto, that's going to involve a lot of moving pieces. So perhaps he goes the other way there. Perhaps he's attached to Josh Bell or Nelson Cruz. So, you know, a lot of time, I feel like a lot of times when, you know, people are going after hitters at the deadline or even starters, they, they like to see what type of reliever they can possibly, you know, add really? to the deal from the yeah. team. Yeah. So he might be one of those guys for a team and he, he's given his age, probably not in the long term, you know, mix for the, the nationals mm-hmm. who are looking to kind of blow things up and completely rebuild. Um, but even if, you know, even if he doesn't end up staying because he does have so much control left, uh, you know, they still are in the mix for finding a closer and he could quickly kind of rise through the depth chart there. I, I know he was, I think he might have had some saves last year. I know, I know he, he was pretty good last year for a minute and then things kind of, yeah, fell apart. But uh, definitely an intriguing arm. I, I, this is a good person to bring up. With um, you're right. He just needs to kind of focus on sinker slider change up, and I think there's definitely some potential here. I mean, his velocity, you know, he can get it up to 96. It's very there's Holmes esque type things here. Um, and I know it's obviously hard to find someone, but yeah, this is who who find someone who's you know Clay Holmes type part two, mm-hmm. but this is this is definitely a good this is a good one that I'd never even really thought of and like looking into some of these numbers right now there is definitely some stuff here that and there's there's these things intrigue me and I like you said if he goes to the right organization and a, a move like a Yankees are you know we talk about like I mentioned before Rays Brewers Astros they those teams always seem to be able to get the most out of the relievers so. That would be that would definitely be an interesting guy. Where yeah, you talk about he's not gonna you know Clay Holmes went to the Yankees and kind of didn't do much until the end of the you know end of September. You're like wait, they might have actually gotten a, a steal here, and then he carried that over to this season and you know became an All Star. So yeah, this this is definitely an interesting arm, a little bit a little bit different. Um, definitely not someone who's go- definitely gonna get traded, but yeah, I would definitely be interested in seeing what he could do outside of the organization or just with a bigger, bigger role uh, in Washington. Once, you know, once we see what that roster looks like a week from now. Definitely. We will definitely be trying to see what happens over there in Washington. You already put Kyle Finnegan as the closer to be in Washington with Tanner Rainey going down on the IL, but with the trade deadline coming up in a week or so we we will be hitting uh the trade deadline and we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about next episode um was there anything that you wanted to touch on from this last week or anything that you're looking for to keep an eye on for the rest of the week since uh you know i mean this is the last time that we're going to see a lot of these guys in the bullpens that they're currently pitching for yeah, that's basically my whole, yeah, the whole what to watch for is just who's on the move and where. And, you know, the next time we're going to record a show will be three hours after the trade deadline. So, perfect. yeah, so we're going to have all, I'm surprised there hasn't been any moves yet, but I guess it's the calm before the storm. And mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll see a flurry of activity over the next week. So, yeah, just waiting to see where the pieces fall and. 
who uh, who benefits and who gets hurt by by these moves. Will definitely be interesting. There'll definitely be a lot more stuff to talk about than we talked about this week. Yeah. Sort of had to manufacture some segments to cover. Like I don't think many podcasts are talking about who the next Clay Holmes is going to be. And that's what makes our podcast so great. You won't be finding reliever coverage like this pretty much anywhere else. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- there are a couple of bullpens that I'll be keeping an eye on other than who might be traded because yeah, that, that is very interesting. Like who's like, who's going to be the next guy up when the, the Cubs send out David Robertson, like yeah. who do they get in return? Do any other relievers go? But yeah, I'll be watching that Washington bullpen. I've said this before. I'm not really interested in speculating there, even though like saves will be gotten. I don't like I'm getting Finnegan in 15 team leagues, but like 12 team leagues, maybe I just don't think it's worth yeah. it. The Nationals just aren't good enough. I don't think Finnegan, like Finnegan's pretty good, but I don't think he's like so good that uh, something like a David Bednar on the Pirates where he's such a good reliever that it doesn't matter how bad his team is. I don't think Finnegan makes up for the lacking ability of his team, but uh, I'm also still last week I was watching the Rangers bullpen. They got no saves <laughs> over the last week. Yeah. So no clarity there. I've had Brett Martin on my team. I've gotten zero saves after I got him right after he, he cleaned up that third one. So I'll still be watching out there. It'll be interesting to see what the A's do with Lou Trevino. He's sort of been faltering a little bit. He did just get a save yesterday, but Zach Jackson got one a couple days before <laughs> that. And AJ Puck got one the day before yeah, that. So I was ready to switch the. I was ready to make a change there. And then Trevino got the save last night. I was like, oh, I guess he's, guess he's still fighting, fighting for that role. So he's still in the mix. Yeah. And I think the only other place I'll be keeping an eye on is probably the Red Sox. Like we talked about, it'll be interesting to see who they rely on the most. Is it going to be a split between Hauk and Whitlock? Does one of them just take the role and run, run with it? Does one of them turn into more of a, multi-inning guy like Whitlock was at the beginning of the season. So that'll be interesting to watch. Are there any final thoughts for you before we send the listeners home happy and full of bullpen knowledge? I think we, I think that about covers it for me for this week. Yeah. Just looking, looking forward to what the, the next week brings us to talk about. Yeah, I, I love the trade deadline. There's always so much yeah. to talk about. It's tons of fun, especially on a podcast like this, where it's like every single move is going to have its ramifications. You don't really see that. I talked about this last week. I've said that a, a couple times already. But, you know, you, when a pitcher is moved, a starting pitcher is moved, it opens up roles on his old team for like lesser known starters that aren't going to be fantasy relevant. And the same can be said for hitters. It's usually just like, oh, now this guy who was playing half the time is going to play 75% of the time. And he was already a guy who I wasn't interested in having on my team. But with bullpens, it's all about roles. So when a guy gets moved and roles open up and people can move up the depth charts people's values can change immensely just in a single day. So it, it's it's going to be fun. I'm really excited for this trade deadline. Let's hope there's a lot of bullpen movement so that we can have a really fun, awesome podcast talking about all the comings and goings. For sure, yeah. I On the surface, it looks like it might be a dud as far as relievers go. Sorry to spoil it, but I mean, you never <laughs> know. I think there's always like you know one or two big shock moves that you know you weren't expecting to see so let's let's hope let's let's hope we get some fireworks fingers crossed but that's going to do it for the 15th episode of in the pen 
catch you guys next week.